Amen. Let's go to the Lord and pray together this morning. Father, we come before you and we come having sung many songs that exalt you, that glory in you, that recognize that you are great. You are high and lifted up. You are transcendent above all. You have made all things, and you are God. And yet, also, you are near us. You are imminent. You do not leave us to ourselves. You sent your son Jesus to come and to die for us. How many, many ways and reasons we have to worship you, O Lord. You are worthy of all of our praise and all of our hearts and all of our minds, all of our lives. The one who is overwhelmingly great, beyond imagination, yet incredibly you would lower yourself and come. And dwell among us to save wretches like us. We thank you, Lord. We thank you and we pray that you would indeed show us Christ this morning. The one who is our hope. The one whom you sent to die for sinners, for us. May our hearts well up in worship of Christ. May our hearts... Continue in worship of Christ as we turn to your word. May your spirit help us, Lord. May your spirit, Father, work in us. May your spirit humble us. How persistently we are in need of humbling. I'm in need of humbling. May your spirit lead us, Lord. May your spirit comfort us. You know our hearts, you know our frame, you know all that's going on in our lives and everything else in your world. May your spirit come and pierce us as well. We pray, Father, that the gospel would be lifted high this morning. And Father, as we come with a gospel that is for all peoples across all nations. We pray that it would go out. We pray that you would work for those listening, for those in Beirut, in the midst of great suffering, for our brothers and sisters in Christ there who are walking through all these things and Trying to minister in the midst of great sadness, great despair, great confusion. Pray you would be with them, Lord. Give them grace and uphold them. May you show them Christ. And may you help them and uphold them now. And so, Father, we look to you and we pray for your hand. May you be with us, Lord, and help us as we come to eat of your word and the food of your word. May you help us to receive it. We look to you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, if you would please turn with me 
to John chapter 6. This morning we'll be in verses 60 through 71 as we continue the gospel of John. So over the years that I've ministered to people, you know, I've seen many great things the Lord has done. I've seen the Lord, you know, lead people incredibly to Christ in amazing ways, small ways, great ways. Seen people longing to serve Him and who have served Him and do serve Him and they want to serve Him more. And they do serve Him and they go out among the nations or they stay here and they tell people they work with about Christ and they're uh, evangelists for the sake of the gospel and God uses them. God uses them in the church and how He uses their giftings and everything else for the good of the body of Christ. Many great things the Lord has done over the years I've ministered. However, sadly, I've also seen people who profess Christ and they slowly begin turning away. And maybe you also have known people like that as well. So in our passage this morning, we'll have a question, to whom shall we go? Even the the question we just sang Well, their answer to the the question, to whom shall we go, isn't Jesus, but something or someone else. It may have been a romantic interest. I'll go to him. I'll go to her. It may have been money. Money will grant me my heart's desire. Perhaps this is to where I am to go. It may have been worldly Pleasures, I want to live my life and live up all the world has to offer me. That's where I'll go. It may have been, you know, busyness. Okay, you know, I'll get to Jesus. I'll get to him eventually. Just, just not right now. I'm, I'm well too busy for all of that. I have this and that going on. And, you know, I just, I just don't have time for this right now. It may have been... A worldly spirituality. You know, I just don't think Jesus is all there is. You know, I I think there are many ways that we can make to go or to get to God. And on it goes, right? And you may have people that you know as well, with their myriad of respective reasons for why they answer the question, to whom shall we go with, it is not Jesus. It's something or someone or anything else. Well, in our passage this morning, Jesus comes and he calls us to one answer to this question. And that answer is him. And only him. So to whom shall we go Jesus, now, forever, and always. That's the answer to the question. He alone has the words of eternal life. So if you would then, look there in your Bibles, in John chapter 6, verse 60 through 71, as I read. May God help us hear him who has 
the words of eternal life this morning. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And so Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, son of Simon, Escarot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So here we have the conclusion to chapter 6 and to this overarching emphasis that we have seen since the beginning of this chapter and until now as well. So the crowds, they have seen wondrous things from Jesus. You know, the feeding of the 20,000. The disciples, they have seen wondrous things as well. The sea bowing to Jesus. And all of them have heard the wondrous words of eternal life as well. But now, we have here in the narrative... It has reached a boiling point. So those who have considered themselves to be disciples of Jesus, they're done. (laughs) They cannot handle what Jesus has said, especially what he has just said in chapter 6, verse 53. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. And that right there is simply too much. And in the end, what we have here in these verses are two groups, and only two. Those who believe, and those who don't. Indeed, these really are the only two there are, period. You will either be in the one camp, you believe and you know Christ, or you'll be in the other camp, you don't believe and you do not know Christ. You either know Christ or don't. There is no in-between section for us. Jesus has not given an in-between 
You either are taking up your cross and following him, or you're not and you don't know him. There is no in-between, and that is what we see here as well. Along these lines, we see here two contrasting points in our verses this morning. And so the first is this, the peril of the flesh. The peril of the flesh. And so we come here to these opening verses. We find out the grumbling that we saw, you know, last week in verse 41. It isn't quite over yet. They have some more grumbling to do. And so we come to these opening verses. And Jesus, he had just told them not to grumble in verse 43. And now here they are, grumbling once again. So I won't, I won't go into all that and the points that we talked about and rehashing that point that we saw from last week about grumbling. Let's not forget Jesus' words there either. We only heard them last week. So let the grumbling here remind us of the no good nature of grumbling. Perhaps this week you've done a bit of grumbling. So I'm just throwing this out there for you. Don't forget the word of God that we heard last week. And so it didn't help back last week and it doesn't help now here with this instance either. And so Jesus here, he supernaturally knows in himself that they are grumbling about his words. And behind their grumbling and their words here is the solid well-worn path of fleshliness. It is perilous, and many have trodden it and have taken it, which is taking them farther and farther from Jesus. And maybe that's you here this morning. You know, maybe this is where you are. Now let me just tell you that it is perilous, friend. So right at the get-go, be warned. Fleshliness is not a good thing. So let me give here then four marks of fleshliness that we see here from this outer ring of disciples, which we see really are no disciples at all. We come to find this out. So first... Mark, we see here, is listening but not hearing. Verse 60, listening but not hearing. So these disciples, they say, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? So Jesus' words about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, these were the last straw. Who can listen to it? So have you... Ever listened but not listened? You know what I'm talking about? You know, it's easy to do, especially today in our day. Easy to listen but not listen. You know, you can be sitting there, you know, texting and looking at your phone, you know, or, you know, busying yourself with something and you hear but you don't really hear what someone's trying to tell you. You know, and I know I've done this, you know, and. I would imagine most of us here have done this at one point or another. 
And it's not really always something that you're intending to do, right? In fact, I think we often overestimate ourselves thinking that we can do both at the same time, that we can multitask and hear everyone and all these things, which in the end it just doesn't work that way. And it may be that someone you know, is talking and we are distracted or slowly, perhaps right now, your mind is starting to wander a bit. You know, you're, you're listening to the person talking and you, you, your mind begins wandering, thinking about this and that, dinner, lunch, whatever. you got to do this. Here's your next point you want to say or whatever it is. And so you don't really listen. You kind of listen, but you don't listen. So now here, let me encourage us with this. This is almost kind of a side point of encouragement. Even though I imagine that all of us at one time or another have done this, you know, we certainly need to do our best to listen to one another. So, as a rather young Christian, I remember a fellow older brother in the Lord telling me kind of some indirect good counsel. He wasn't directly telling me this, but he told me of his friend that he had who was such a good listener that he made you feel like you were the only friend that he had in the world. (laughs) Like you were the only person in the room. You were the only one who mattered to this friend. Now, I've remembered that all these years and just thought, you know, that's that's exactly what, you know, I would would love for someone like that, right? To to listen to you and to treat, treat you that way. Well, that's great counsel. And that should be our aim as well. Yet we, of course, we do have those times that we falter to listen as we should. Now, ironically here, in this passage, it wasn't that the disciples, they weren't listening. They had actually seemed to be rather attentive to Jesus' words here. I mean, following his arguments and what he's saying and and like saying, what in the world is he doing there? They listened and heard his words, but they listened, but didn't listen. They heard, but they didn't hear. They missed the whole thing. And they, they were saying to themselves, I think that he is saying that we need to be cannibals if we follow him. If we follow this guy, he wants us to eat, eat people. Is that, is that what Jesus was saying? And so this gives us some perspective here on the peril of fleshliness. Fleshly hearing hears, but does not hear. Unbelievers hear the Bible. They hear Jesus and the true things of God this way. God's word, it kind of just goes right by them. They may have heard John 3.16 a thousand times, perhaps. And maybe even John 14.6 as well. And yet they, they gladly hear it. And they say, ah, you see how amazing all these other religions are, though. See how we can intermingle all variety of spiritualities. And we're just fine without Jesus. And so it is that Paul, he says... For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
Why? Why do they not hear the peril of the flesh? Listening, but not hearing. Believers can do this too. I mean, it's different. It's not the same. You have an unbeliever who's dead, not alive, not hearing. But we can do this in some ways as well. Reading, but not reading the Bible. You ever done that before? Hearing, but not hearing a sermon. Studying, but not really studying the Bible for the purpose of godliness. I just want to know all I can about the Bible. And there's no like application side of it. Like I'm not really trying to get this into my heart and dealing with how this passage is calling me to examine my mind and my desires, my emotions, how I'm treating this person exactly contrary to the passage. But I'm filling my mind with a lot of knowledge. You ever done that before? I think we all have. In various ways. Unfortunately. And so, we see here, them, and us, and our call, be careful in these things. Fleshly, listening but not hearing. A second mark we see here. Life-giving words are harsh and offensive. Verses 60 through 61. So the outward ring of disciples, they take offense at Jesus' words. They were hard or harsh. They were radical words to them. And so it is that Jesus asks them, do you take offense at this? Verse 61. And so he goes on to essentially say, if you think that that was offensive, wait until I further unsettle your ideas of Messiah when this bread from heaven goes back to heaven after he is crucified and buried and rises from the dead. You wait until you see that. You think this is offensive? Wow. Wait until you see all these things. Now they indeed think his words were harsh and offensive, but they were stumbling over what they thought he was saying and not what he was actually saying. They heard his words with fleshly ears. And so their condition here, they think they're fine. They got a heartbeat going. But their condition is desperate. They are God-separated sinners in need of Jesus, yet they are not rightly hearing and seeing what they need to see and hear. Does this not make sense then as well of our country and other countries and how they are receiving Christians right now? They hear us explain what Scripture says on all variety of things. They hear us explain what Scripture says on marriage, on gender, and sexual orientation. And all they hear is wrong-headed, uncaring, hate-filled speech. Now, there are some Christians who are indeed speaking like that. 
in ways they ought not. That is exactly opposite of a Christ-like demeanor and those who are doing such things need to repent. Not that they're saying you know, marriage isn't between. They're saying all these things rightly, what Scripture says, but they're, they're being a jerk about it to, put it, to put it plainly. So they are, they are doing a devilish work and doing just what we are seeing here. They're walking in the flesh instead of sharing Christ in love. But for those who are faithfully and graciously seeking to speak God's words, the world hears them, even those words, and thinks, harsh, offensive. Yet like Jesus, our words are anything but harsh, even though they are very much likely offensive, but they are offensive in the right direction, towards life, towards Hope and towards joy to the uttermost. It's like someone who is on the edge of a cliff and they're offended. Like you're saying, hey, buddy, you're getting ready to fall off a cliff. You need to come back up. And they're like, whoa, hey, you are offending me by your words. I don't like it. Well, that doesn't mean we stop warning them and telling them they're getting ready to fall off a cliff, right? They're going to perhaps offend but we're willing to offend for the greater message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's important for us to know now and to remember well that walking by the Spirit of God and speaking God's word aright may well, even as it has and is now, may be taken on the whole as harsh and offensive. Why? The peril of the flesh. A third peril is there is no help or no help is found here. So verse 63, the flesh is no help at all, Jesus says. So you will not know or be able to know God Through you, through your power, through any ability in you, through any move of emotion or will or intellect in and of yourself. So the flesh is like a car without oil, without gas, no engine, no pedals, no wheels, and no tires. It is of no help. And this is why, again and again, Jesus has said, if you would know him, you must be born from above. This is not kind of a kind of theme here. This is a theme that we have seen over and over. Again, the flesh is of no help. And now, Jesus here, of course, he is talking about unbelievers here, but there are implications here for us as believers as well. So you may be, you know, struggling, especially right now, perhaps this week you have been going through your week and it's all you. You're just doing it in your own power. You have been, you know, filled with all variety of emotions and feelings, you know, perhaps anxiousness, 
perhaps fear, perhaps anger, impatience, frustration after frustration. Perhaps you're grumpy. Your Bible reading is stale. Your prayers are weak. Your attentiveness to the things of God are small. Temptations are many, great, and persistently pulling at you. What's going on there? Well, you're either being tempted to walk in the flesh, or you are. So friends, hear hear Jesus here. And let us just consider it and know it well. The flesh is no help at all. And just let those burdens come away, you know. Stop relying on this me. Stop relying on yourself. And I'm talking to myself as well right now, preaching to myself, Lord, help me stop relying on myself as much. That's the third peril, a fourth one. They go out from us. Verse 66 verse 70 through 71. So many turned back at hearing all this that Jesus had said and they no longer walk with Jesus. They leave Jesus. And they may have even been in the inner ring of disciples, the 12. Yet, they weren't really disciples of Jesus in truth. That's a scary thing. You can be that close and really that far from Jesus. I mean, Judas in every gospel is called the betrayer. I mean, what a terrible way to be remembered. Yet, this is what he was. He ceased following Jesus. And this is what false disciples do. And likely with people like this in mind, he had other people in mind as well in 1 John 2. But in 1 John 2, John, same author of the Gospel of John, says in John 2.19, sounds really like this passage, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. How many people does that hit right there? But they went out that it might become plain that they are, they all are not of us. So these went out, the disciples here, the outer ring, and eventually Judas as well, and so have many others. And I know you know, I know you know of these people. I know I know of a number of people who this is true of. And it isn't, it isn't that the church saves anyone. Let's just get that clear. You're not saved by attending church and all these things, a building. But those who know Christ keep following Christ and keep following Christ within the body of Christ. I know people have said this before, but you cannot... Say that you love Jesus and you hate his body. It's totally nonsensical. 
It's not possible for you to do that. Jesus has not given us that as an option. Because we love Jesus, as imperfect as all of us are, we want to be with the body of Christ. We want to, we want to be part of this ecclesia, the gathering of believers. We want to be together as the body. We want to serve one another. We want to love one another. We want to, even, in, even as we argue or debate or we, we struggle with ourselves or we disagree or whatever happens, a conflict happens, we still, we're saying, I am here for the long haul because of Jesus. Not because you guys are perfect. Not because I'm perfect. None of us are. But I'm here because of Jesus. And I'm part of the body of Christ. And so are you. And so we're going to do this together. That's the the heartbeat of the believer. So it's not that we're saying this is... John's not saying in John 2 that you can be saved by going to church every Sunday. It's only Jesus. But those who really know Jesus will keep following Him. So here's the question. This is His question. Do you take offense at Jesus? Do you take offense at Jesus? And this is the question for you and for us. To see the peril of the flesh. Because it is perilous. Now, the power of the Spirit. The power of the Spirit. We see this in verse 63 through 64 and 67 through 71. So we see the contrast between works of the flesh and works of the Spirit of God. So fleshly response versus spirit wrought responses. So we have seen that there is no help in the flesh, the peril of the flesh. So we ask, and we need to ask, obviously, where in the world is there hope then? <laughs> well, God. God is our hope, and that's exactly what we see here. Again and again, Jesus is lifting high the prerogative, the necessity of God in our coming to faith in Him. And as I said last time, again and again, Jesus is exalting God's role in our salvation. And he's trying to explain why it is that there are some here that don't believe why these disciples are leaving right now and why some come and they never leave. And so when God is at work by his spirit, we see her first, again, kind of marks the power of the spirit, the work of the spirit. That Jesus' first, Jesus' words are heard. Jesus' words are heard. So, God, by His Spirit, illuminates, shows, helps us receive and understand and hear the words of Jesus and truly hear them. God's words don't bounce off us like the old silly saying, you know, that we would say as children, you know, I'm rubber, you're glue. Everything you say bounces off me and sticks to you. So instead of that, we hear and we receive the words of Jesus. And this is great reason for us as believers to continually immerse ourselves in Scripture. 
reading it again and again from front to back, Old and New Testaments. And as you read God's Word again and again, God, He grows and He shapes and He molds you into the image of His Son. And if you haven't read through the Bible, and I mean all of it, well, let me encourage you. This isn't a guilt trip or discourage you. This is, let's do it. <laughs> you want to be more like Christ? Let's read through the Bible. Right? Why not? I mean, you want to be like Christ. You want to be more like Him. So read the whole of the Word of God. And as you read Scripture again and again, it becomes more and more clear. And God uses it to bring it to bear, not merely to fill our heads with more knowledge, but to fill our lives with more of Christ. And I want that. And so the Spirit of God comes and helps us hear, receive, and bring God's Word to bear in our lives. That's one. Second, we see the Spirit's work in seeing Jesus' words are eternal life. Verse 63 and 68. So Jesus says there in verse 63, The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And the disciples, they echo those kind of same words there in verse 68. You have the words of eternal life. And so Jesus' words, they are directing them to himself, to all of who he is, and to all he will do in him is life. Now this may sound strange, so his, his actual words are spirit and life? Well, consider what we're doing right now. So I am declaring to you Jesus' words. And what are they doing? They are setting before you and before all of us eternal life. So what are you to do? Well, unbeliever and believer alike, believe them. <laughs> Eat them up. You are to say with the prophet Jeremiah, your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. That's what you're to do. And those here who are believers, the more that you consume them, the more you will put no hope and confidence in the flesh and the more, by the Spirit of God, they will overflow into your life. Third, we see, contrary to the flesh, all help is found here. Verse 63 and verse 65. It is the Spirit who gives life. So the Spirit takes Jesus' words and makes them wonderful and wondrous and beautiful to us. The Spirit brings them to bear upon our understanding, upon our will, and upon our affections. And the reason the outward ring of disciples and Judas leave and don't remain with Jesus is because they don't believe, and they don't believe because they're living under the peril of the flesh. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. And the life that they need is a life that must be given from 
above. As it is, their understanding, their will, their affections are set against God. Romans 3. And so Jesus says, no help is found there, but all help is found from God. And this is why Jesus says in verse 65, making it apparent and clear, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. And so the Spirit gives life. The flesh is no help at all. And Jesus says all this, knowing who will believe and those who won't. And so he says, verse 65, no one can come unless it is granted him by the Father. And so from beginning to end, Jesus is saying, let just let God get all of the glory. Just let him have it. And again, you know, I know that these words are challenging words here, but I want to encourage you that wherever you land on these things, may it be that you begin with Scripture and go out from there. May it be that we, all of us, let our theology come from Scripture and don't let your theology drive the boat, but let the boat be driven and founded upon Scripture, which would form the theology. So let us see then, all help is found here. We aren't to begin our life by the Spirit of God in Christ and then go on from here in our own abilities. So let me ask you, what kind of life are you living? Let me ask myself. So, we got... Two more points. Fourth. So this is the fourth mark. We see they remained. Verse 67. So Jesus asks his inner ring of disciples, the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And so Peter, he, he answers him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And except for one, Judas, they remained. And so also, if you know Christ, you will remain. The Spirit gives life. And that life that the Spirit gives will not be taken back again. He doesn't say, well, guess what? Yeah, you, you can come to Jesus. And I have power to bring you to Christ, but I don't have power to keep you until the end. He doesn't take it back. And for those who do remain, Jesus, he gives all glory to God. And he says, did I not choose you, the twelve? And so he's kind of correcting, perhaps, if anything here. So if the disciples were thinking, hey, look at us. We chose to stay with you, Jesus. How great we are. And Jesus is saying, well, wait, you know, I chose you. All glory to me. How great I am. How great God is. All glory to God. So 
So you may be tempted to think that there is another to whom you shall go, but there is no other. There is no other Savior. So let me ask rhetorically, where else can we go but to Jesus? There is nowhere else. There is no one else. Where else can we go, Lord? Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. So brothers and sisters in the Lord here, you know where to go. Keep following Christ and keep going to Christ. And then if you don't know Christ this morning, there is nowhere else. There is no one else. Words of eternal life aren't found in anyone else. They aren't found anywhere else, not in that man or that woman, not in money, not in worldly pleasures, not in busyness, and not in worldly spiritualities. It is Christ and Christ alone to whom you are to go. He has the words of eternal life. He is the one who came and died for you. And I pray and I hope that you will trust in Christ this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Help us, Lord, to receive it and respond as we consider these things. If there's anyone here who doesn't know Christ, may you help them to see and hear and truly hear the words of eternal life this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.